Um, not to get into politics, but I did get the thumbs up from the vice president, FYI. Oh, wow. I tell that. <laughs> nice. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So the, I had no idea like who was going to be at the rally. And we got there like kind of right as it was starting. And all of a sudden, this huge, like, I, I got to say, like crazy intimidating motorcade goes like right in front of us. And, um, and so we're trying to like round up, find the bigger group that we're with, et cetera. So we're kind of moving through this crowd. And all of a sudden the the pences uh the vice president and i can't remember her her name now uh but they're on the stage and they're they're speaking you know and all that stuff and they're up there i don't know 10 minutes and we kind of find the the bigger group and we're like just in a totally random spot but we're right by a road and all of a sudden they leave the stage and here comes this this motorcade just flying down the road like 10 yards from us and so we're watching it, and then in one of the cars, it was like the windows weren't tinted, was Vice President Pence, and he just looks out the window, and I don't know if he was like doing it the whole time, but he just looks out the window and gives us the old big thumbs up nice. out there. Nice. That's a very wow. juice move, too, the thumbs up. It is. Yeah, I, yeah, man, I'm all about the thumbs up. You know it. And uh, I was like, man, I've never gotten... You know, Democrat or Republican, I've never been given the, the <laughs> thumbs up from the vice president of the United States before. So yeah. chalk that one up. <laughs> the thumbs up is a glorious thing, man. It Ooh. is, man. It is. It's some, of those, he some of those human things that we do, the universal symbols like the high five and the thumbs up, like, man, where do they come from? And why is it just, did you actually have to learn that that meant celebration or good, you know, good job? Or was it just immediately the first time someone gave you a high five as a child, you knew intuitively or somebody just gave you a thumbs up. You're like, I've done a good job. I'm good. <laughs> I'm a good person. This is good. Thumbs yes. up. Thumbs up. Yeah. The similar thing. I, uh, I got on a, a miniature YouTube vortex, um, maybe three or four days ago <laughs> and <laughs> I just emerged from it last night. Uh, no, no, kidding. Just Wait, so you're on Exodus 90 now, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, Exodus 90 started that, yesterday. Tell us, tell us about your vortex. I want to hear about that. Okay, okay. Well, just to the like universal human interactions that, that people automatically intu- intuitively know it's good or bad. Uh, one of the things was people meeting. There was like a scene where uh, the celebrities just kind of like appeared out of nowhere and everyone was really big fans. And they were... The scene was... Uh, reenacting the movie Passengers, and so it's the the setting looks like they're in the spaceship, but then it's all these like extras who are just regular people who are hanging out on set, and they're like paused. I don't know what what they call it, but everyone's frozen, so it looks like the whole scene is is frozen, and the camera kind of moves around and sees all these frozen people, and one guy's at the bar, and one lady's like leaning on the the place where Jennifer Lawrence was asleep, and and so they're all frozen, and then Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence walk into this frozen scene, and nobody's supposed to move. 
but they're all like seeing them and so they're trying to to stay frozen <laughs> while also freaking out inside and then it's just everybody eventually breaks and everyone just starts clapping and like everybody everybody's just clapping because they just walked into the room you know mm-hmm. and it's oh, it was just like amazing. this spontaneous this is a good thing so we're gonna clap i don't know was it a scene from the movie no 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 this was like uh fan um fan actor interaction you know like at the release or something like that oh. the premiere where the um, yeah chris pratt and jennifer lawrence surprised them and but it was just this like n- nobody knew what to do so that everybody just started clapping and like jumping around <laughs> and <whatnot. laughs> but like where did clapping come from yeah this is yeah. this is a this is a good thing so we're just gonna smack Hit our hands, our hands. <laughs> yeah just gonna make noise that's yeah. yeah that's very interesting well both clapping and high five i feel like are two of the very first things a, a like a baby can do yeah clapping, to express itself sure. yeah not, right before you can shake a baby's hand you can throw up the high five and be like hey five, high five and then they learn it and they laugh and then the clapping of course that's just hitting your hands together it's like learning about your limbs yeah yeah well it's, yeah i remember um Gosh, this has been years ago at this point, and I don't know. I, I don't know who it was. It was a seminarian, and they're talking about like some theory, or I don't. I don't remember what it was, but in a sense that like Jesus never laughed. Have you guys ever heard this mm. before? Oh, and, I've asked Father Hennessy this question. Okay, okay. Uh, interested on that response, but mm-hmm. I just remember because there is. I, I don't know who wrote that or like mused that or whatever, or even the reasoning for it, but. I just remember that being like just preposterous to me um, just because like my six month old niece laughs, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, before there's any like reasoning capability. That's just such like a hmm. like a human that's a good thing. Point. Um, and so I, I just yeah, thoughts on that. But. And it's different than clapping or thumbs up. I mean, I'm assuming Jesus gave thumbs up, you know, but uh, oh, of course. So cool, uh-huh. <laughs> After the kid brings up the loaves and the fishes, you better believe he got a <laughs> Mondo thumbs up. Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Father Hennessy, he took the academic approach and mm-hmm. was looking at the writings from the historical context. And he would have been like, he said, it would have been absolutely absurd for somebody at the time to have uh, actually written about somebody laughing that they were trying to present as like a, a legitimate for real figure that people should listen to. Like it just wasn't important at, in the day and age when he was writing. It would have been, mm. um, yeah, not like a negative characteristic, but it, it would have been um, not a characteristic that you would want to stress one way or the other. So he took it from more of a... Um, like the, the literal sense of when they were writing and the purpose of why they were writing about it. Um, yeah. And he said it, it just wouldn't, it doesn't fit um, to what the gospel writers were trying to do. So, and then of course thinking, he was like, you know, he's like laughing the whole time he's talking because he's literally brimming over with joy. And he's like, Mikey, come on, you know, he would have laughed. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, of course. Like what they would sit around these campfires you know, it, cook breakfast together, go fishing together. Like, absurd stuff happens in life. And the only appropriate response to it at times is just laughing. Mm. 
And it's just, it just happens. Um, and Jesus would have been in all sorts of just bizarre circumstances. You know, like when people get healed and you don't think there's like crazy joy and folks laughing there and like Jesus certainly would have joined in with that or dining at meals and oh yeah. I, yeah, I think that uh, no the more I'm thinking about the idea that Jesus didn't laugh, the more I'm thinking it's satanic um, mm. to even like say something like that. To, to think that laughter is something less than human when in reality it's something that separates us from lo- lower creatures. Absolutely. Um, and to think that Jesus then didn't share in it because he's like an angel. It's just... It's a it's type evil. of docetism, yeah. Gnosticism. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus laughed. I can... Je- Jesus laughed. We can... Let's proclaim it. Yeah. X, well, X X my couch, <laughs> X microphone, yeah, Deus oh. X microphone, X internet. The, you said the movie Passengers. I've never heard of that movie. Oh, yeah, Chris good? Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. I never saw it. Oh. Um, I haven't seen that either. Yeah, I really like both of those actors, but they, um, I'm not as big of a fan of either of them as I used to be because I get the sense that they sold out mm-hmm. and the plot was never intriguing enough. Um, actually I was somebody I was talking to yesterday was just critiquing the plot. Um, so they're, they're on a spaceship and apparently there's like a, some sort of a space mission going on that, uh, requires everyone on board to be asleep for this, like superhuman amount of time, so they're all quick question. Gassed. Are they utilizing what? some kind of science in order to make this mission work? <laughs> you had better believe it, <laughs> okay. dude. I think the whole movie <laughs> takes place in space. Ah, yeah. For someone who's seen this movie, I'm sure I sound like an idiot right now. But <laughs> onward and upward. <laughs> uh, and the critique of the movie actually comes from feminists, and it's pretty strong. Is that? Um, the movie gives off, it's just like a, a really creepy, um, they use stronger language than that, but it's a like a creepy plot to the entire movie. So he wakes up in the middle of this super long expedition and is asleep by himself or is awake by himself on the ship for like this super long period of time where I think he's going to die alone. Like nobody's even going to wake up in the time until he'll he'll die alone on the spaceship. And it's super technologically advanced. They have like robots that serve you drinks and uh, all this, all this fancy Classic stuff. Classic robot butler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he <laughs> he sees Jennifer Lawrence Classic who's asleep in her pod. Robot butler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he sees her and then like slowly, you know, starts to gravitate towards her. And he's getting lonely more and more. And he pops open her pod. And makes it seem like it's an accident, but essentially condemns her to death alone with Chris Pratt because she she like can't go back to sleep, and so selfishly he he wakes her up and um, I think eventually they fall in love and things like that. But it's it's just the two of them on this spaceship for like years, um, and so the big critique is like, well, this creepy dude has done this terrible thing, and like the movie ends in quote unquote love, but like they're kind of condemned to it from the moment huh. that 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 he wakes her up 
And like he did this terrible thing and it shouldn't be hailed as a love story. Uh, Cause like, what the heck, what the heck else are you going to do? You know, if, if that's real. So it's kind of a critique as being a creepy plot. And again, I haven't seen it. Is a it, bit but... creepy. it reminds me of a, um, I think it's Josh Ritter, a Josh Ritter song called the last temptation of Adam. It's a great song, uh, but it's about uh, a couple that is underground during like a nuclear scare that they're in a, like a missile silo. And, um, evidently, I mean, the lyrics of the song are kind of ambiguous, but what it makes you believe is that he and she are like soldiers for the military and then are in charge of, of like manning this weapon in case it's needed. And he kind of falls in love with her and he realizes that he never would have, they would never make it as a couple in real life, only in this missile silo by themselves. And so he's tempted to just hit the button and cause nuclear holocaust so that he can be with her. And it's, it's like, that's a very good image for how irrational and the opposite of authentic love, the feeling of sentimental love can be. And I feel like that synopsis of a movie that none of us have seen, uh, <laughs> hopefully is somewhat accurate matches up with that same same thing like you let yourself think that the feeling of love is love then you will do some pretty heinous things to people that you quote love you know right because it's need it's like i need this person not i want to i want what this person wants or what is good for them yeah classic robot butler though i have to say Classic robot baller. Hey, have y'all ever seen the the show? Um, oh shoot, it's an opera. Phantom of the Opera. I've never seen it. I've never seen that either. Actually, run, I've run never us, seen it either. Run us to the plot. <laughs> we, should, we should talk about it. Let's talk about it. Why don't you give us a synopsis of what you've heard about it? <laughs> well, I actually know so little about it that I can't even give. An insufficient synopsis. I wish I had. Is it, is it a creepy plot or something? How did that come up? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it is a creepy I plot. I think it's the opposite. I think he does the opposite at the mm. end of the movie. Is he? He loves. He has the feeling of love for this lady, or at the end of the show, but she loves somebody else, and so it's this famous like you got to let her go if you actually love her, kind of a deal. And so he he actually gives her away, mm. um, and allows her to love freely. Uh, yeah. But I, I've never seen it, so I don't know. <laughs> we need to talk about things we've seen <laughs> or actually experience. Oh. So tell us about Exodus 90. How's it going so far? Well, it's it's super early. Um, yeah, aren't you like only, nine hours in? It's only day two, yeah. Oh, it's day two. Okay. It's day did, you, two. did you already take the cold shower? Yeah, I've taken a couple cold showers. That, that will never... That seems that to will, me the worst part by far. That will not... I will not get used to that, no. I guarantee. That's... Is, is it, it like ice cold or is it lukewarm? So mine's... Mine's cold. It's not ice cold, but it's cold. Oh, gosh. Like, I have to catch my breath in the morning. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm towing this line because... I really want to do it for the right reasons. And so I don't want to boast about it too much um, or at least talk about it too much because 
and what I'm sort of already experiencing in doing Exodus 90 is like, I don't want to go 90 days and focus on all the things that I'm giving up. Right. And I think that's the mm-hmm. opposite of what this whole thing is supposed to be. Um, yeah. I picture it as like shake, shaking the Etch-A-Sketch. That's what it's supposed to be. It's like it takes 90 days to just get your brain off of the drug of screens and pleasure, yeah. basically, like self, self-indulgence. self Yeah. Well, and it's and maybe even push it a little bit further is like I think it does. It hyper focuses on the the one thing that you're most or the things that you're most are most important in your life. And so they encourage like you have a daily holy hour that you're supposed to do Hmm. um, that like not just priests are doing or seminarians like anybody who does this program, you do a holy hour. Um, they actually necessitate that you get at least seven hours of sleep. And so there's like positive, healthy encouragements that are a part of the program as well. So the way that I'm seeing it is they are saying intentionally live in a way that makes the things that you really care about actually important and actually actually live that way. And so like I've already noticed, it's made me be very intentional about like all the time that I have. Um like all the things that I eat and it just it has made me live an intentional lifestyle in the just short two days that I've done it. Um, and my hope is that, yeah, I don't go 90 days focusing on all the things that I'm giving up, but I, I spend 90 days like focusing more and more on, on the Lord and that all the other things will just kind of fall away. Cause I, th- I think that's the aim of it is that in freedom, then you can actually live in accord with the things that you really want to live with. So like last night, I was just reading before going to bed and it was like 9.30 and I got really tired in the middle of reading and so I just put the book down. I just closed the book and went to bed and slept for like eight straight hours. It was amazing, dude. Mm. And I woke up so jacked at six and had some coffee and it was just like a very healthy rhythm. Whereas in times past, like in college or even at points in seminary, like I would have like got up and fixed some tea to stay up because I really want to read more or in college probably would have thrown in a big old log, a big old chew daddy. horseshoe. Yeah. Or would have gone out and like watched TV or something like that because, you know, part of me, my body wants to go to bed, but like I still want to stay up and hang out and things like that. But, but it was just like an easy an easy acceptance of what I actually wanted and what I actually needed, which is just a little bit of sleep there. Um, so it was it nice. Sounds, it was, yeah, it sounds, that sounds really cool. And it also, this is what I thought of as you were describing that. It's like, that sounds like how Bremer has been living for the past 10 years yeah, of his those life. Guys, yeah. guys annoy me. That like, yeah, this doesn't seem like a revolution to them to just do what your body tells you to do. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. So the things I think would be, the thing I think would be tough for him is there are no sweets. There, there's no snacking in between meals. Um, and then you, you have a couple of fast days. So it's like Wednesday, Friday is a fast day. I don't know. Um, but even that, like he's so intentional on that stuff as well. Oh, for sure. Though. Like no, the only reason sure. he eats sweets is because he just did like a two and a half hour like slamming workout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he'll let himself have sweets. Anyway, I'm not – yeah, it's just it's, – No, no, no. It's, yeah, it's, he, he's just phenomenal. He could give it up in an instant if he wanted to. Oh, for sure. For like, sure. 
it's just yeah there's just no competition there <laughs> yeah and um i i can feel my own yeah because it's not even about like strengthening my will or anything like that um really at least so far it's been like okay i just get to I now have permission to just do the things that like originally I, I wanted to do. And for mm. whatever reason, I haven't had the strength to do it. Mm. And things like, yeah, not waste time on the computer or not waste time watching TV shows or um, have time to read in the evening. And like I was just reading through some of my thesis stuff uh, last night at like a very leisurely pace. And it, it just feels different. It's like actually soaking in and things like that. So... Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Um, it's still very, very early, but uh, yeah, I mean, one thing certainly to keep in mind with, I think, it, like any form of penance and and especially with this program is um, they give you leeway as well to say, hey, if there are things that are important for your family or times where you get to spend with friends that are like really important, then don't abstain from like watching a movie if you have like an evening movie night every Friday. That's good for your family. So there, even in the program, it's like inherent that the things that are most important in your life, that's what it's about. And so don't negate the most important things in order to withhold Exodus 90. You know, per our gospel today, the man is uh, made for the Sabbath, not Sabbath for the man. Um, And I think Exodus 90 is so the same. So you just take, you take, like I'm taking what gives me life and um, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. If, if something's like making me really miserable um, in like an unhealthy way, then, you know, we'll, we'll have to assess it. So, so you're yeah. in a group with your dad and brothers? And my brother. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Only one brother. Okay. Yeah. So, and that'll be nice as well to, to bond with them. And you were the awesome, third man. person to ask me like that week. Oh, really? That's why my text was kind of fast. Oh but yeah, yeah. No worries. I'll take a no worries. Because I had thought about it. I saw them at Seek, their booth and everything. But I'm kind of in my own. Uh, oh, they had a booth. Yeah, they had a booth. They had like a big stack of golden calves, and like a pillar. <laughs> it's kind of hard to miss. It was right. Ne- it was yeah. right across from Dmax booth. AKA okay. the Liturgical Institute. AKA the school you're in. Yeah. Yeah, there's something I I think the there's like super duper value. There's there's value in it because it's uh, prayer and penance and um, what I would consider to be an attempt to for healthier living. I think that's kind of at the heart of it. Um, but there is there's always this appeal where it's like it has this extreme tint to it, mm. and I think it's always going to attract like young men in particular, but then specifically like guys in college who have that more extreme, um, maybe like untempered, uh, desire to, to get after it. Um, and I think that's actually probably where the greatest value is, is a lot of college students who like, let's say they are struggling at spending too much time on the computer or like real struggles with impurity or drink that it is the Etch-A-Sketch that was like, okay, let's, we're going to help to reset your brain here mm-hmm. to have a radical cutoff to actually take the sin that has like just kind of sat in your life and you've made peace with your sin. Like, no, we're going we're gonna to actually assault that and really, really work against it. And so I think for specifically for college students or 
guys who struggle with that, that this is a great program that gives accountability for it, um, that gives strength and community and prayer. Um, but then just saying like, no, I'm done living this way and, and doing the Audrey Contra that Ignatius talks about and really intentionally working against sin instead of just, just coping with it. So, yeah, I think that's great, man. Sounds really good. I always think of this quote and I always forget the, the poet's name, but, um, someone famous said when I asked him about if he believed in the immortality of the soul, he said that as he's gotten older, he's believed in it more and more. He's found it more plausible. And they said, isn't that just because you're afraid to die? And he said, no, it's because as I get older, I realize that I'm finally learning how to live. And it would seem like such a waste to just be annihilated right after death, just as you're learning how to properly properly live a human life. Mm. And, um, gosh, that's a very poetic answer. That's nice. I didn't do it justice with how I said it, but it was to that effect. Um, and I, I do feel like that all the time, every year I sort of make some little progress and I mean little as like to how to live a human life. Um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the phrase that you said, Mike, intentional lifestyle, um, living intentionally, you know, with not making peace with your sin or even your, just your, the habits that cloud your life and make it more difficult to pray or relate to people or pay attention. Um, the things we allow in our minds, um, the thoughts that we entertain, like even just like finger drumming in the car. I've noticed like if I, if I try to turn the music off just to make some space for God, if I'm on a half hour drive to go see my parents or head out to the suburbs or whatever, I still like, I have to quiet myself because even with the music off, I'll just start like talking to myself or hitting the steering wheel and like beatboxing and just making noise, just like out of sheer restlessness, you know? Mm. Um, and I don't think about it. I'm not intending it. It's just happening. Uh, Mm. and I think that, uh, that example of like just closing the book, turning off the light and going to sleep is why is that hard to do? But I know exactly what you're saying. It's mm-hmm. very, very difficult to be just kind to your future self. Like tomorrow morning, I will be so much, so much more grateful to my current self if I just do this rather than stay up, watch another episode of something, make a tea, whatever the case may be. Um, or worse yet, like, oh, I'll just go make like a drink and throw in a dip or, you know, like just basically give myself a hangover tomorrow for no reason, just to stay up, to not let this day end, to refuse to die to self and, and just realize this day's over and I've got to go do it again tomorrow. Um, but mm, actually, you know, that that sort of way of living while very austere and ascetic seeming is actually the charmed life. I guess that's what I'm, what I'm finding is that you, you yep. don't end up like quitting chewing tobacco, for example, is one of those things where it's like, now I spend way less time in dirty gas stations, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> like these little, these little sort of enhancements <laughs> of my life that I didn't even realize was like polluting my life, you know, um, little things as you give them up, um, and sort of trust God to sort of take care of you as you leave this open space in your, in your heart and, uh, refuse to refuse to care for yourself and allow him the space to care for you. 
It's yeah. uh, it's scary, but it's so much more charmed. It's so much more aesthetic and beautiful, and actually pleasurable in a, in a like an Augustinian sense. You know that your heart can rest. Um, and it's so that my watchword for this new year. I've been journaling journaling a lot more. In an attempt to live more intentionally, I find that even just the thought of journaling, like if I'm feeling some stupid urge to do something or to stay up or to, um, oh, I'm, I'm restless. Maybe I'll turn on the TV, even though it's 1030. Like, no, I'm just going to write something in my journal and then go to sleep. Um, the other thing that I'm doing now is the examine prayer. I listened to this great, uh, podcast by Timothy Gallagher, mm-hmm. uh, the daily prayer of discernment, his whole discerning hearts podcast, I think it's discerninghearts.com or .org <clears throat> is the source of like all his stuff on the examine prayer, discernment of spirits. Um, it's pretty much free gold. Yeah. It's is just what it free is. Gold. It, it, it's incredible. <clears throat> so trying to do the examine prayer actually in the context of night prayer at night, even me and uh, Jamie trying to do it together a little bit. Mm. Um, in an attempt to just live intentionally, like notice what's happening, notice the people in your life that God's putting there and whether or not you're attending to them. Um, yeah, it's so much better than just constantly lurking about the world, looking for satisfaction. Um, and then trying, trying as you might to deny yourself those things, which are objectively evil, you know, while, making compromise with those things that I can get away with this. This isn't inherently bad, but it's also not inherently good. It's not helping me get closer to God. Uh, it's just not severing my relationship with him. And that, I guess at some point you have to realize that's just not good enough. I want to be, um, I watched this, a lot of stuff sparked when I watched this documentary called Athos on the Greek, on the Greek Orthodox monks that live on Athos mountain Mm. in Greece. You ever heard Father de Gaulle talk about Athos? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's the unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. There's this free. It's, it's on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, it's just called Athos. A documentary. It's maybe, maybe two hours. Huh. It's kind of like Integrate Silence, which I never watched the whole thing. I don't. I think I might go back and watch it now. I might be ready. But the way that these guys live their lives, I'm like, okay. All that matters to these guys is God. That's all they want. That's why they've come to this mountain. It's it's a lot harder to live that way in the midst of the world, but I also I feel like why can't you? Why can't you just decide to be a saint and say nothing matters to me but God? Mm-hmm. The way Ignatius says, you know, like I could be rich or poor, healthy or sick, um, that kind of indifference. I don't have that, but I want it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna and- watch that. Do for sure. Do watch it. Yeah. Athos. That's, Gosh. It's scheduled for the last day of our class with him this year. That documentary? Is, is, it must be that documentary. Era. It just oh, came out two, awesome. three years ago. Oh, that's too recent. Yeah. No, there's no <laughs> way. If it's not on VHS, he can't show it. <laughs> that's it. He has not a whole slideshow. He snuck onto the island. It's not an island, it's a peninsula, but you can yep. only get there by ship. Yep. But you've heard yeah. that story where he his one photo he's had taken of him without clerics is his passport photo because you have to be an orthodox male to even be allowed in the autonomous monastic republic of athos there's like two thousand monks that live on the island and the only people allowed on it are monks and male pilgrims who are orthodox wow and he evidently was asked you know they stand like three monks are there to kind of 
be the ad hoc parliament to approve what each visa and uh the girl stare at and they're like are you orthodox and he says yes and as he's explaining it he's like what i meant was that i subscribe to all the dogmatic ecumenical councils (laughs) (laughs) so he's like a little jesuit you know you don't have the right to know (laughs) right Right. I'm, not, I'm not intending to deceive. I'm intending to deceive while telling the truth. Yeah. yeah. Dude, oh man. <laughs> is that the story island. where he has? There's like, in order to get a stamp, in order to get on the island, there's four parts of the same ring that yes. are shared by right. four different monks, and they like literally have to come together and form the proper wax seal. Mm-hmm. But each, each of them only has a, a quadrant of it. And so mm-hmm. together... Which is why it, he it says the old. Orthodox Church has made like zero progress in terms of liturgy, <laughs> liturgy and theology, which is a blessing in some ways because they are tot- they conserve the deposit of the faith so faithfully because <laughs> they can never agree on any changes. <laughs> yeah, They don't have a Pope to just override everybody. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one thing I guess like... Not even a caveat, but I also so I I love the idea of Athos and saying like I want to live a life that is totally for God, and that's that is really what I want. You know whether or not I I live it that way, live my life that way all the time, is another question. But um, you know I think sometimes it can be heard as saying like I have to escape everything or even not be involved with other people or. Um, be like, like transcend the world in order to encounter God. And it's something that we hit on all the time, but, uh, I want to live totally for God and also be, and also live totally for other people too, that I want to be totally free and in possession of myself to, to be able to give myself away and, um, like I think that has to be done in like really little ways and in the quiet of your room that you can be loved and even give yourself in love to the Lord that does propel you forward into other relationships that um, that actually does allow you to give yourself away to other people that you're not reacting in fear or you're not thinking about other things and um, just like having a heart the, the word for me has been peace like yeah. I just I want to have this interior peace really truly like I, I wouldn't say i'm a super duper restless person but i can feel that i am running away from certain things from you know not to get too deeply into it but the lord has been preparing me to for this for a little while and the desire underneath all of it is yeah to have this peace to know that i'm living in accord with god's will and living in accord out of love with my neighbor um yeah, and to live from from that place, like which is a peace that only only the Lord can give, and then be able to share that with the rest of the world. And I can feel when I get my schedule so busy. Sure, it's excitement to to help and to to do other things, but I think a lot of it is like I'm afraid of that moment when I I'm I'm afraid of that moment when I get to my room and. I can't read anymore for the day and all my siblings are asleep and I, you know, all my buddies are asleep and there's no one to hang out with and whatever. And it's just me. And it's just me and time in my room. Like that is, 
that is a really scary proposition for me. And generally what I would do, and I can, like looking back on it, I can see the pattern throughout my life in, in college and uh, in high school. I, you know, it, it wasn't really a thing because I was always around siblings. We had, I, I shared a room with four other people. And so there was always stuff going on, you know. Uh, but then in college, it's just you and time. And I started the habit there where I would flip open my computer and watch The Office or watch TV and would just enter into this. I would just neglect the confrontation with myself and silence. Hmm. And I have habituated that for a long, 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 long time. And I, I don't want to do that anymore because, I, well, I think it does a bunch of different things, but it, it makes you have like, it's just you. There's no, it, it's just living unmasked by yourself, to yourself, in your own room. Um, and that's a different type of, that's a different way of being than just essentially putting the TV on so that you can just blob into bed and then blob into your next day and whatever, just in this very whatever kind of mentality um, that you're saying, no, this is time in a moment that God has given me that's super important that it's it may be a small thing but it's actually the lord's here and that's important and so just being there with that instead of running from it uh yeah and then it it like well i have many other thoughts on this i i'm just ra- rambling i don't know if i want to add to you guys yeah well, the, uh, i was thinking uh I mean, even that line that you said a bit ago, Connor, of like, why, why can't we just choose to be saints? Or, and that's just such a beautiful thought. Because um, it's, I think, one, because it's true. But I was thinking of the line, I think it's from Brideshead, when uh, Sebastian and Ryder are talking, like when they're in college, and he's, in a sense, like making fun of Sebastian for his Catholicism. And he says, like, how can you believe all this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and the answer is, I don't remember the exact line, but he says, because it's so beautiful to think about. Um, so even think, like, what you're hitting on there, Metz, is it just sounds like the word that's coming to mind is sovereign, you know, of, like, time is a created thing that's, like, part of God's creation that can be, like, used in a transformational way or it could become um you know certainly add to uh like sinfulness or just yeah in a sense like whatever is not big enough for um for your own heart i remember yeah i remember uh was it mr carstens the yeah the guy that taught the liturgical chris carstens is that the guy who taught their liturgical class at monday one and i remember him talking about um, just like sanctifying time. And he used this story of, I don't know the year, but it's like, is it like St. Teresa of Avila's feast day is October 15th, but she actually died on October 4th. But the year that she died was when they moved the like Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. So from that year at midnight, it just went from October 4th to October 15th. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, he just used that as like this super cool reflection of like time is, you know, something in, in a certain sense we're bound by, but we have the capacity as human beings to to sanctify it in in some way. Yeah, and it's, it's a creature. It's a creature. Right. It, it's not above God. It's it's part of God's creation. 
And I mean, you get cool, cool reflections on that. Like, and I'm thinking of like the book, a severe mercy Mm. as well of like his reflection of when he was an atheist or a pagan. And he has this kind of sense of his own humanity and these experiences with his wife of like, no matter how blissful or like serene or kind of otherworldly these experiences they would have on on earth he's because they would like sail around the ocean in this boat and just have these incredible experiences of beauty and nature and but there was always this looming sense that like it would end and um so even no matter like no matter the perfect scenario um in this life like time is always looming and but he said like for for a Christian, that's part of the hope is that these things don't ever have to to end. And like there's just so much beautiful um reality in in that thought. Or or even something like taking Exodus and exactly what we were talking about, like peace in your own room and and all of that. And then, you know, using other tools that we've been given from the tradition of I was thinking of like one of the Ignate, I think it's Ignatius, his points in discernment is that if you get to a certain place, um, then one of the tools you can use is like picture yourself on your deathbed and lay out different decisions laying, laying before you. Big decisions, like vocational decisions, or like little ones. And, and picture yourself and imagine yourself on your deathbed after this time has passed and how this has played out. So it's like, I mean, it, it could be something of like, yeah, picture yourself after a lifetime of, like, in a sense, not wasting an hour and a half every night watching TV, you yeah. know, and yeah. you picture yourself. So, like, picture yourself both ways saying, OK, I'm going to have a TV, you know, right by my bed or whatever. And like, what does your life look like at the end? And hopefully it's still holy, et cetera. And, but then picture yourself and imagine yourself at the end of a lifetime of not choosing that of every night choosing yeah. like a thorough examined prayer and like this, this kind of sovereignty over time and, and, and like flossing and flossing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but what does that look like? It, it's a super powerful prayer. Yeah, dude. Uh, Robert, you finished? Yeah. 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 That's okay. So you have just, yeah. I, so part of the book that I was reading and fell asleep to last night was James Joyce, it's a collection of his short stories, but then he also has one of his novels in there. And actually in the introduction, I've never read anything by James Joyce before. He's an Irishman, like wrote at the turn of the uh, 20th century, and he died in like early 1900s, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting time for Ireland. And like I, I, I guess I'm just trying to learn a little bit more about that. And, um, you know, he's one of those classic authors that everyone talks about that I've never read anything by him. And in the intro to like, hey, this is how you should understand James Joyce's writing, especially his short stories, was apparently he had a conversation um, with his brother and he was mentioning to his brother, they were apparently they were standing there looking at a train that was about to pass by. And a guy darted like right in front of the train and just barely got out of the way. And James Joyce uh, apparently turns to his brother and goes, man, imagine if that guy had gotten hit by that train right there. How significant, like the people that love him, how significant every single little action he would he did, how significant those little actions would become now that he's dead, mm. essentially. And I think it's a, actually a similar point that like Ignatius is getting to. And, and so 
the author's introduction, the point was, when you read James Joyce, his attempt is to make all these small moments in his short stories, although they're insignificant, to look at them as if they were that significant, as if this person died, you know, and, and then you you think about like, oh man, what did all these little actions mean? And everything that they did leading up to that moment just takes on this this grander scale of magnitude and you want to look at it and see why they actually did all these things. And, and his point was death kind of propels you into looking at even the smallest decisions and the smallest choices mm. as, as being actually very important. You know, what are the things that were like, his final moments leading up to this. And and so he wanted to write in a way that the little things took on the significance of somebody that, yeah, maybe had like just died. He, he just used that as an image. But I think it's a similar thing that Ignatius is saying there is like death. And I, and I think time, like that's the reality of time confronts you with your own, uh, your own finitude, your own limitedness. And it's kind of an arresting confrontation there. Like, it makes you stop and it makes you think. And that's the famous phrase, memento mori. And, you know, not that, like, I'm thinking about death all the time, but I, it does make you consider time and take stock of, of time. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. And it's something that, like I said, I, I think I've run from from a long time. But But then being able to use time to see the... The, the significance of each of these little moments, um, you know, like, that seems to be the way to live. What if you live that way? Hmm. It doesn't mean you had to do something dramatic or anything like that, but a moment that God has given you and he is present there with you, you are being loved by him and potentially loving him and his creation. That's actual life that happens in our, like, am I even, am, do I see any of that? Do I, do I see any of what's actually going on, both exteriorly and internally? And I think, yeah, um, like that's just a radical way to live. That's, yeah. That's and that's nice the level. solitude of this Athos documentary. The very first scene is you see this monk, I assume, just waking up in the middle of the night, um, lighting a candle in front of an icon of the crucifixion and just praying the Jesus prayer over and over again on his, on his beads. Um, hmm. And then he blows out the candle. And I, I just there's something very evocative of that image to me of the rest of and movies are always weird because you're thinking, okay, is somebody there in the room with him filming it? You know, it, <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that anyone anywhere is doing that, you know, on a mountain all by themselves, just in front of an icon praying the Jesus prayer, that person is entering into the, that mystery what you're describing of solitude. That this mo- in this moment, right now, in time, God, the eternal God, is with me, looking at me, and cares about me, and is trying to commune with me. Now, I'm going to try to make space for that to happen, to cooperate with that grace, instead of doing what we often do, which is crowd him out, or say, like, I've got more important things to do. I'm too busy, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like you said, Rob, when you look at your deathbed, it's... Talk about laughing Jesus. I mean, that's ridiculous to say you don't have time to pray. It's like you don't have, it's like saying you don't have time to breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you just, your priorities are mixed up if you cannot talk to God. Um, almost by definition, it's like the purpose of human life is to have God, the purpose of the entire universe. And yet we get so caught up in these little cul de sacs 
And what it is to me, uh, in my own experience, is a refusal to be alone, refuse, you know, to avoid solitude with the fear that it's going to make me sad. When in reality, what happens when I avoid the solitude is that I am sad all the time. Well, it's not just because, like, because it's not just about us. Like, those decisions um, is, yeah, certainly, like, there's a importance in, in solitude. But what ultimately, you know, for those of us that aren't called to be a monk on Athos, et cetera, is, like, we're talking about freedom at that point to, in a sense, be faithful to what we're, we're called to do. Um, also like with people and in relationships, et cetera. And so I was thinking, do you know, do you guys know the name? It's, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but Jan Tiranowski before we heard that. Oh, is this the guy who was with JP2? Yeah. It's like the lay, they call him the lay mystic who formed JP2 when he was young. Hmm. But I mean, his whole story, you can go to the church, like where he was a parishioner in, in, uh, Krakow today. And, is that he he went to he was at like a Sunday I don't know if it was a Sunday or a daily mass but there was some homily and there was a line in the homily that said it's very easy to be a saint um it's very easy to be a saint and it just rocked his world and so he just went back and like he in a sense chose to um to live in in a certain way and like through that fidelity then he forms this you know a bunch of young men but one of them happens to be Carol Voitiwa um and like just the impact on the world that like that one homily um that one man's decision mm. uh, made mm. but I, I guess the only reason I, I told that or i think it popped up there was because um like you you know even even solitude um like the point is actually communion and freedom right um in it and that's where it points you and it leads you yeah and uh that's why I like what they said in Exodus 90, like, don't make this an end in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is so that you can attend more to the movement of God in your own heart and thereby to be more attentive to the people that God is calling you to love. That's to me what the examine prayer is. It's not just, I'm going to go uh, on a mountain by myself in order to be alone, but rather, like, I'm going to go into the monastic cell of my own heart for eight minutes here so that I can attend to God and where he's moving my dire- directing my attention and my will to love more, to be more like him, to see the world through his eyes. Um, so my, my thing is alert, but relaxed, like a golf swing, you know, like if you grip it too tight, you're going to screw it up. But if you, but you need to hold on tight enough that, you know, the club doesn't fly out of your hands. Mm. Like that's kind of how I'm picturing intentional lifestyle to use your word. Um, yeah. You grip it too hard and you're like, then it's just, it's like a dry drunk, you know, like you are not drinking, but your whole life is basically about alcohol um, and how you don't use it anymore. And yeah. at every party where there's drinking, you're just sitting there white knuckling it, like talking about sobriety to everyone. Cause you're just obsessed with <laughs> um, not drinking. You know, and how I'm so happy right now. I need all these people need to stop drinking because alcohol is so bad. You know, like you, you just set yourself up in an adversarial relationship to the thing rather than renouncing the thing in order to be free of the compulsion. Um, that's that's where I want to live. Um, like if I accidentally look at my like open my phone to check a text message and then end up 15 minutes later, like, w- why am I reading this news article? Oh, because I'm 
an idiot who's been led a, astray like a hog with a ring in its nose. Like this damn phone has me wrapped around its finger. Like it, I serve it. Um, but I can still in that moment be alert to that, but also relaxed enough to just like, all right, put away the phone. All right, they just wasted 15 minutes. Sorry, God. Uh, keep, get me back on track, please. Um, yeah, go again. <clears throat> that For sure. That to me is the path. Yeah. So my hope is that, uh, and then I'm going to have to let you guys go, but that um, that this isn't like a miserable 90 days. Or? I think, it, well, it's been a good run. <laughs> I'm going to have to let you guys <laughs> go. Let's just say that. Uh, but that I, I want to live... Like I want to live a more beautiful life. I want to live a more peaceful life, and I think this is actually going to be um, maybe not fun, but um, a venture into the happiness of being a peaceful Christian. Like that's. Mm. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. If if we talk next week and um, I'm cursing you guys out because I haven't eaten at all <laughs> or I just seem really miserable then we can reassess the situation but uh, it's always I'm two fine step, guys it's always two steps forward one step back you're all sinners <laughs> you're all sinners you're all consumed by the world yeah hey, that just made me I don't know what made me think of of this because um, I gotta get going as well but I just checked and on my phone actually honestly um, but our first episode aired on March 13th 2014 so we're coming up on five years mm. wow crazy that is crazy cinco años wow all right phantom of the opera synopsis what is this about <laughs> hide up beneath the 19th century paris opera house the brooding phantom schemes to get closer to vocalist christine day the phantom wearing a mask to hide a congenital disfigurement, strong arms management into giving the budding starlet key roles, but Christine instead falls for arts benefactor Raoul. Terrified at the notion of her absence, the phantom enacts a plan to keep Christine by his side while Raoul tries to foil the scheme. Mm. That doesn't sound like the opposite of creepy. No, but, but hey, come on. <laughs> Give, spoiler, spoiler. Oh, maybe there's an ending? Do the thing. What what thing? Just say the end. What happens? Oh, I don't. That's all that Google popped up. I think it was that was the movie anyway, not the not the play. Oh, well, there you go. That's what happens when you rely on Google. I'm telling you, the world is evil. <laughs> like that vibrato. Yeah, that was good. Thanks. That was, was that thirds, Mozart ascending thirds. Was that Mozart or Beethoven? I think that was technically Yo-Yo Ma. (laughs) Hey, I get to celebrate the community mass for the basketball tournament this Sunday. Nice. Yeah, I am. Big deal, Mets. I'm pretty excited about it. No, that's awesome. Are you you just going to preach basically about heroic priesthood? (laughs) I I think I'm honestly going to preach on that James Joyce deal. Uh, Yeah, that's good. I like that. I, I I don't know yet. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I'm excited for it. It's a cool opportunity. And Everybody at the basketball to... tournament will already have listened to this episode, dude. So it's not... Oh, man. frick. Uh-huh. That's a good point. Okay. Shoot. Well, never mind. I'm not going to preach on that. Huh. <laughs> All right, bros. Good talk. All right. Yeah, same. Very good talk, guys. Take it Get easy. Good. 
See ya. Bye. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.